Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome to Crime Ant. My name's Judy J, and this week I'm chatting to Sophie Shanley. Sophie Shanley, old friend of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Sophie, we're mixing it up this week. Yeah, we are. We are flip reversing it again. I'm going to do the case. You're going to do the case. I'm so mm-hmm. excited. I, I don't know what this is now. So this is going to be gas. Ooh. Okay. Tell me, what one are you doing? Okay, this week I'm telling you about the unsolved mystery of Peter Bergman. Do you know about Peter Bergman? No! I'm very you know excited. No, oh, this is wow. brilliant. Okay. Don't know, don't know what country. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. So. Okay. Well, hang on now. Let me get the. Let me get it up here. Um, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> I won't say that's what she said because every time you say that, a comedian dies. <laughs> I know they they oh, swivel around in their coffin. Um. Okay. So this happened in two thousand and nine. Okay. And it was, uh, it it happened down in Sligo. So a man in his late middle age checked into a hotel in Sligo, okay? And five days later, his body was found on Ross's Point Beach, dead. Wow. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. It's just that like, I didn't need to stay dead there. Um, so this no, was you on... did. I was like, what? What? What was the story with body? Okay, dead. And by the way, Ross's, Ross's point is so beautiful, isn't it? I haven't been to Sligo since I was a child, <gasps> so I've actually just done a bit of research. It does look lovely. So his, so his body, he checks into this hotel and his body turns up on the beach. Now, where was he from? What nationality? Okay. So there's a lot of mystery surrounding this Ooh. whole thing. Like, okay. still don't know the identity, the real identity of Peter Bergman. 
That's the whole thing. That's why it's so unique. Nobody has ever found out who he is. This is so interesting. So they find the body on the beach. Yeah, so 6am, a man called Arthur Kinsler and his son Brian drove down to the beach um, and Brian was training for a triathlon. So he ran ahead of his dad and the straight away, I do, straight away, I don't trust these people. Yeah. What were you doing up that early? Wait, your dad. Come on. You were body hunting, weren't you? (laughs) Anyway, the tide was out. So Arthur came onto the beach and he saw something a bit unusual. So he knew the beach very, very well. He was always running around the beach, the fit man that he was, fair play to him. So as he got closer, he said it was the body of a person and he appeared to have drowned and was lying face downwards on the sand. So then he called his son to come back in from the water and there were footprints around the body. So the body seemed to have just washed up on the beach. Then the dad, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say the dad, Arthur Kinsler said, he looked about 65. We walked around the body just to make sure he was dead. I think they knew he was dead. And I actually placed my hand on his ankle and it was marble cold. So again, confirmation that he's dead. We get it, Arthur. We get it. Anyway, so so then the guard, the guards were called and it was, um, that was about 45 minutes later that the guards arrive with the tarpaulin and everything. They get the place set up and the guard says, it was quite obvious he was dead. So, we get it, guards. The man is dead. Uh, he looked like he hadn't been that long in the water. So in good nick, but dead um so so the the guard noticed that the man was dressed a bit strangely for for a swimmer you know he didn't look like your regular swimmer of a morning Mm -hmm. so he had on a pair of purple striped speedo type swimming trunks with his underpants over the top and a navy t-shirt tucked into them so this was the first of a number of very strange things about this corpse on the beach So, you know, eyebrows are getting raised. What's going on with this guy? So then we're back to the day that this man checks into the hotel, okay? So it was June the 12th, 2009. It's a Friday. And a tall, thin man with short grey hair and glasses is pictured on CCTV at Derry bus station. So he's in Derry. Who knows how, who knows why, but the man's in Derry. And he's wearing a black leather jacket and he's got two bags. One is like a kind of a gear bag. Okay. And the other one is, it looks like kind of a laptop case. So he's got that over his shoulder and he's inquiring about the Sligo bus. So definitely, definitely he wants to get to Sligo. Um, So he finds out the bus is leaving at four. So two hours and 28 minutes later, he is again caught on CCTV getting off the bus at Sligo. So he's made it safely to Sligo. Now in Sligo, the bus and the train stations, they're all kind of within walking distance of any of the hotels that would be available in the town. He doesn't know how accessible it is. So he hops in a taxi and he says the driver to bring him to a cheap place to stay. So the driver brings him to Crucine Lawn 
guest house, which is on Connolly Street, but it was full because obviously it's June. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a popular place with the surfers and I don't know, they, they have festivals on over the summer. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's, I think there's a, I think there's a lot that does be happening. So, um, he he's you know no room at the inn he's a bit crushed about that he says right right oh fair enough uh out the door again let's try the next one so cctv recorded the man then who is report he was reported to have an austrian or german accent okay sorry he goes to the sligo city hotel that's where he goes next on his journey he goes there and he checks in at 652 and so this was 2009. So for a single room, he paid, it, sorry, it was 65 euro with breakfast included. It's all right. Yeah, not bad at all. It's a bit info about, you know, the times. That was uh, peak recession, Julie. So, you know, bargain to be had. Yeah, a lot of Bitcoin anyway. available. So he pays, in, he pays in cash, right, in full for three nights and he was given room 705 okay so off he goes and the name that they wrote in the hotel register was Peter Bergman and he wasn't asked to produce any proof of ID that's crazy but I don't know is it because I've actually stayed in a couple of hotels and they haven't really asked me for my passport they've just taken my name or whatever like Everyone is acting like Maybe. this is crazy. Maybe I've just stayed in a lot of dives. But <laughs> <laughs> So Sligo City Hotel has the number of CCTV cameras. So one of them's over the reception desk. So there's a documentary about Peter Bergman. It's called The Last Days of Peter Bergman. Yeah. And that is like a 20 minute documentary, which shows like any of the footage that there would have of him. So... Uh, th- so there's a camera anyway so it's watching as the guests are coming and going so okay. Peter is he, he, he came and went a number of times over the three days his movements became puzzling when the guard looked at the CCTV footages footages oh when they looked at the footage of the hotel and of like him in and around the town yeah so he had left the hotel 13 times and each time he was carrying a purple plastic bag that was full of something each time. So he would go out hmm. with this bag and he would dispose of the contents around Sligo. And then he would kind of like fold the bag up and either put it in his pocket or put it somewhere, but you couldn't see it when he was coming back in. So he was getting rid seemingly of everything that he'd brought with him to the hotel that's so sad it's really sad it's really really sad it's very lonely and sad and puzzling the whole thing so anyway he's he's up and out and he's doing his thing he's getting rid of his stuff and each time yeah so each time nothing nothing on him he was just you know back in just himself yeah so like over the whole time even though there's CCTV of him out and about on the street nobody ever sees him like taking anything out or getting rid of it so like don't know where he put the stuff um such and no, a, none such of, a mystery isn't it such a mystery but so kind of calculated as well like that he planned yeah. to do this you know he seemed to be quite meticulous like obviously he had a that's plan it. in his that's head of what he wanted to do 
that's what the detectives are saying. They're like, what? Like he must have had a background in like the military or like with the police or something because he's yeah. so organized and like he's definitely got a plan. So he was he was never ever seen speaking on a mobile phone. So we don't think he had one of them. And he was captured a few times, like just kind of having a cigarette, like having a cheeky fag in and around the place. Um, but the detective was asked, what do you think was in the bags? And he says, personal effects. But, you know, we can't talk, we can talk about that until the cows come home. But we can't speak about what we don't know. So I'd imagine he had clothing or personal effects, possibly a passport. Okay. So... So he arrived on a Friday and on the Saturday he walked around the corner from the hotel to the post office. He bought 10 82 cent stamps and he was also given airmail stickers for those stamps. So he bought international stamps. Yes, he bought international stamps. So back in 2009, it cost 55 cent to post a letter within Ireland and then 82 Mm -hmm. cent to the rest of the world. So So he definitely was. He definitely had connections beyond Ireland. It wasn't like he was an Irish guy impersonating a German or an Austrian or whatever. We don't know. Okay, Okay. I'll keep going anyway, but I'm not sure because like if if you look at him, he looks... He looks a little bit Irish. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, but he, like, he also looks like he could be a bit German, but I think he looks like he could be like a taxi driver or something. But anyway, so nobody saw him actually posting anything. So if you, if oh. you post the letters in the, in the exterior boxes, there's no cameras to see you. So he may or may not have actually posted stuff, do you know? Anyway, okay. the stamps. Were I just paid looked for. up. I just looked up a picture from here. Okay, go on. Looks, now, there's a few. There's a few dead body ones. Oh, you don't need. To. Well, do you know what? I will say if you're looking this person up, guys, the first one that comes up is the dead body, which I think is so invasive. Like, I mean, why is there? Yeah, need? I don't like that. I'm looking at the picture of him. He, I think he looks very Irish. Doesn't he? Yeah. Like, I mean, initially, I was like, yeah, okay, I believe this, um, because. You know, he was speaking with an accent. That's not that hard. We could all do a, you know, I think it, go, who's a German that? accent is one as well that's faked a lot, isn't it? If you're going to go foreign, people will always, all, often pick like a German accent. Yeah, yeah. You, you can get away with like bare minimum kind of. Mm, I think you yeah. do Aussie because you're, uh, well, you're unbelievable at accents, but you do such an uncanny Aussie accent. I think you'd go for a fake Aussie. I would I would adopt an Aussie personality, I think, because it's the one that I can continue on with and not falter yeah. to like Jamaican or Indian within a minute. And yeah. then once I'm there, I just go back to my own voice. So I that, anyway. so that's that's so interesting. Okay, sorry, I interrupted there. You, you go on. That's okay. That's okay. So nobody can say with certainty if he actually did post the letters anywhere or if he just disposed the stamps or if it was a ruse or, you know, what he was doing there. But a pattern was starting to emerge because Peter Bergman was never caught on CCTV disposing of anything or meeting anyone. So it's difficult not to wonder if he knew where all the CCTV cameras were. Like, was he aware and was he kind of like calculating his movements to make sure that any of the stuff that he wanted to do away from sight, that he was kind of managing to do that? Like, had he been there before or was he totally new to the area? So he didn't have access to a car either. And he didn't take his bag or anything. Like, he only ever took the purple bag. So everything else was left there. 
So nobody ever said that they noticed him or, oh, here's the guard again. The guard said, now this is what I was saying. The guard who arrived and said, he's dead. Yeah, the exact one, Terry McMahon. So he said he had a training of a sort, I think. So it would be easy to see that he was ex-military or ex-police. Why I think that is because in relation to the cameras, he was able to go about his business without people learning anything more about him. So exactly what we were saying there, you know, he was canny enough with the cameras. Mm. So then on the Sunday, which was the third and final night that Peter spent in the hotel... Um, he went in search of a taxi with a map in his hand. Now he'd taken the map from inside the hotel. There was like, they were, they had a little stand with like maps of the locality. So he had one of them in his hand and um, Jared Higgins was the taxi man who picked him up. Then Peter says to him that he's looking for a place to swim and he pointed to Strand Hill on the map. So he knew that Strand Hill was more of a surfer's beach. So he Mm -hmm. kind of said like, no, maybe not for you. He suggested Ross's point. And then Peter said, yeah, okay, I'll go with that one. And he sat up the front with him. And then he said he was a bit chatty, asking him like about the day and like how many buses were going from there and stuff. He got the bus times. And the taxi man recalls that he did say he was from Austria and that he had a very prominent gold tooth. So he basically had a look at the beach and then he asked to be brought back to Sligo. So the taxi man, Higgins, brings him back to Sligo, drops him off at the station and he's, the taxi man gives him his card and he says, listen, you know, if you need to go anywhere, there's my card, give me a shout. And um, Ber- Peter Bergman was, was happy with this. He was like, thank you very much. He was polite enough about it. And he paid him with a brand new 20 euro note. So he's using like fresh, crisp money as well. Okay. So then on the Monday, on Monday, June the 15th, uh, Bergman had requested a late checkout from the Galway City Hotel. So that was for 1pm. From the Sligo City Hotel, is it? From the Sligo City Hotel, he had said, look, I'll take a late checkout. He arrives down at 1pm. And um, when he's returning his key, he's wearing a long pale blue shirt, black tank top, dark trousers and a black leather jacket. He's got three bags with him, the hold all, the bag with the shoulder strap, and then he's got his purple plastic bag as well. Do you know what? There's something so heartbreaking about this whole it's story. It's so sad, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like... It's such what, a mystery. Yeah, I know. And like what drove him to like plan this out and go about it. It's just, it's just such a lonely journey for him to make. You know, so and lonely. And the fact that it went on over three days is just yeah, so, so devastating. So then he gets to the bus station at 1.32 and at this point he no longer has the black holdall. So I okay. don't know what he's done with that. The manager of the bus station cafe, which is now gone, there used to be a little tiny cafe and there's pictures of him kind of at it sold Bergman a cappuccino and a toasted sandwich. He sat at one of the tables beside a woman um, and he didn't, they didn't really speak, but he sat there and he had his cappuccino and his toasty. And while he was sitting at the table, he did take a piece of paper from his pocket and he wrote something on it, but then he tore it up and that was oh. never retrieved. So nobody knows what 
what was on his mind or what he had to get out at the cafe? So then the next person that he meets is Vincent Dunbar, the depot inspector at Sligo bus station. So he, um, he asks him about the bus times. So Peter Bergman asks him about the bus times and he knew that the next bus to Ross's point left at 2.40. Um, but he needed to know which bay it left from. So that's what he asked Vincent Dunbar. So Vincent Dunbar helps him out. He tells him that there's three buses after the 2.40 uh, bus, but... Um, then Peter says, look, he'd taken a taxi out to the beach yesterday. So now he's, you know, he really wants to get the bus. He doesn't want to get another taxi. So the depot, sorry, Dunbar says, you know, he thought that he was maybe going to meet somebody or, you know, he was on business. He said he didn't look like a swimmer. He certainly didn't look like he was a swimmer. You know, he was dressed very formally. Yeah. Um, he said, I learned afterwards he went for a swim, but he didn't strike me as a man that was going for a swim. The way he was dressed and what he was carrying with him, if anyone was going for a swim, you'd usually know that if a towel rolled up or togs rolled up, he says, he wasn't like that at all. He looked like a man that was on business. So then, strangely, Peter Bergman didn't even thank Vincent Dunbar for his help at all. He was very abrupt and brisk with him. He just turned and he walked away. And then Dunbar said he looked like a man that was stressed or in pain or not himself. So he was definitely giving off the vibe that all wasn't right. And he was, you know, distressed or upset. Hi, guys. If you're enjoying this episode of Crimeland, you might like to check out another podcast from Headstuff. It is one of my personal favourites. It's called Spice Bag. If you're interested in culture, if you're interested in food, Spice Bags is the podcast for you. Multicultural host Bianca Mayan D, a Spanish food researcher, Chinese American writer, and an Irish writer, ask the big questions like How did an Indian expat create a market for Indian cuisine in Dublin? Why are so many Irish cheeses made by women? And why is Irish tea different from that in the rest of the world? It is a deadly podcast, and you can head over to headstuffpodcast.com to check that out. The only monies we actually get from this podcast come via our subscription service, which is to be found at headstuffpodcast.com. The link is actually in the show notes to this episode. So if you would like to throw a couple of euro our way, we would really appreciate it as we don't get any money from advertising or anything like that. So that is our only source of income. As well as that, if you would like to rate or review us on iTunes, that would be absolutely amazing. Or even better again, tell a friend. Thank you so much for listening to Crimeland. Mind yourself. Spice Bags is a podcast about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Hi, I'm May. I'm an American food writer and I'm with my friends Blanca, a chef from Spain, and Dee, an Irish food editrix. And we are the Spice Bags, three sassy ladies with a lot to dish up. Join us for the chats. So on that day, it was a very warm day. It reached 17 degrees in Sligo and the beach was actually quite packed. There was lots of people there walking uh, and swimming at the beach. There was one high tide that day at 12.06 um, and the next high tide was at uh, like half 12, like midnight. Okay. So um, the Sligo bus dropped its passengers at 3 p.m. at the stop outside the Yates Country Hotel. Mm -hmm. So no 
nobody at the hotel ever recalled seeing a tall, thin man dressed in black um, coming in at all. So it doesn't seem likely that he did go into the hotel. You know, he just kept going. Um, so then, so that was at 3 p.m. So then at four, he's spotted um, on the beach with the black bag slung over his shoulder. Then at five, he's seen again near the yacht club um, at the far left of what local people call the first beach. So he's exploring around the place. He's at the, the first beach um, at five. Um, and then a sign close to the first beach points to a place that's existed um, for over 100 years called Dead Man's Point. So that, sadly, that's its name. Uh, and it's a small headland that extends out towards Coney Island or Inish Mulclahi. Um, and this island has a Yates connection. So there's a bit of a question mark about whether he was like, a fan of Yates and he'd oh, read, yes. you know, like if, if he was kind of like making a point or, you know, like a kind of a copycat style thing because there's a book. Um, I wonder, does it mention the book here actually? I can't remember the name of the book, but there's a book that basically Yates wrote. It's out of print now. There's only um, a couple of copies left and it details a man basically doing the exact same thing as as he's trying to do. So he checks into a hotel and he's talking about, so like that's, that's That's an element. Yeah. Yeah. So in in the book, the guy checks into a hotel and does he commit suicide? that's that's his his aim oh yeah. wow that's so very in, interesting in the podcast um atlantic uh rosita boland who's a journalist for the irish Times, she goes a bit more in depth well a lot more in depth into this because she manages to get her hands on a copy of it and she is like yeah it's weird like it's it's so similar i think that's i think that's probably not a coincidence then mm, yeah there's a story as well about Dead Man's Point, and the story is that a seaman from another land died as his ship was entering Sligo Bay, and he was left behind and buried there because the crew didn't want to miss the tide. So, because of the, the superstitions of the time, the seaman who died was buried with a loaf of bread and a shovel in case he woke again. So inspired by the story, Jack B. Yates painted Memory Harbour and the Yates brothers often holidayed at Ross's Point in their uncle's home, Ellisnore, which is now in ruins there. So there's another... There's a big connection there. Yeah, huge. Um, So then it's now 9.10 and Peter Bergman is seen again by two women and he's carrying something, but they can't be sure what he's carrying. They spot him, but they can't really identify what he's doing. Um, so that's it then until half nine. Then he's seen again by Dermot and Paula Lahiff, a husband and wife who've driven to watch the sunset. So Paula says, we were parked at the upper car park. There was this man walking parallel to the shore. He had his trousers rolled up to his knees and he was wearing a black jacket. He was kind of plodding ponderously along. So by this stage now, there wasn't very many people on the beach and the people that were left were, you know, you'd kind of notice them more because they're so... Of course. So, um, then Dermot Lehiff, the husband, says that he was watching um, Peter 
down the beach and he said that um, the, the sun was actually setting behind him and it was illuminating him in silhouette. So he was kind Aww. of struck by the image of him on the beach. Um, and then Lehev carries on to say, it reminded me of old photographs I would have seen from my childhood in Salt Hill. Country folk visiting the beach, bathing with their trousers rolled up. Um, and that's it then until half 10 when he was seen by a member of the public with his plastic bag and he's wearing his glasses. So then at 11, he's seen again and this, this, this person is a different person and they note the plastic bag again. So purple plastic bag uh, is still with him. Uh, don't know about the rest of them. I think that's, that's the only one that's remaining now. Did, they, did they ever find the purple bag? I don't think so. No, no. Uh, I'll get. I'll get to it now in a minute. But I, I don't think so. I think like basically what they found was him and the clothes he was wearing, and then there's a few things in his pockets. But I don't think that they have the. I could be wrong, but like I don't remember this. Being no, said. I'm sure because yeah, you would have you would have found it somewhere, or heard it somewhere yeah. if they had. There yeah. might have been more clues, but anyway. Then 10 minutes after, so then this 10 past 11, he was seen and he's still wearing his glasses and he's sitting on one of the benches overlooking the first beach. So where he was first spotted, um, he's just looking out to sea. Uh, and then the final sighting of him alive is by a woman at 11.50 and he's still carrying the plastic bag, but he's walking along the edge of the ocean and the tide's coming in at this point and high tide is due to arrive in half an hour so that that's it then until 8am on the 16th of June when he's found um, so his body's taken to Sligo University Hospital to await an autopsy uh, but that's not till the following day to the 17th so Terry McMahon the guard who came to the scene stays on the beach and he searches for the rest of his clothes and his footwear that had been discarded um, at some point before he got into the water so he does find um, a pile of clothes on a rock on the beach and they match the description of what the the public has you know what they've seen of him um and they they remark as well that you know no swimmer has come to get them so you know they decide that's definitely his stuff mm-hmm. um and then uh McMahon says it was as if he'd taken off his shoes and then taken off his socks and then put his socks into his shoes and then his trousers and then I think there was a kind of a black v-neck jumper and they were all folded nice and neatly on top of one another so like again oh really it's just, just sad you know so like upsetting. such a really awful lonely end you know um, yes and obviously and, and the fact that everything was so considered oh I think just makes it even it. more sad yeah all of the clothes had had their labels cut out so like <gasps> that's eliminating like where he's originated from do you know he'd eat I think and I actually think because I watched this um documentary I, I don't know if you watch Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix but I've seen one a few of them yeah no I mean some of them are better than others but there's one very good one and it's when I say it's a similar thing it's not a similar thing mm. in that this lady checks into a hotel somewhere on mainland Europe and she checks into a hotel and is basically found shot dead in the hotel room three days oh, later Jesus. and 
one of the things in that instance they were trying to place her, she had also checked into this hotel under an assumed name. This is back in the 90s. So they couldn't establish what, uh, you know, she had a name, she gave an address, they then went to the address, the address was in Belgium, the 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 address basically did not match the person okay. so they knew it was a false identity but in that instance the lady had she only had it was a capsule wardrobe she had maybe two tops mm. a skirt and a pair of trousers and the labels were off everything even the underwear right and they said in that documentary that that is always a sign that the person maybe is working in intelligence okay so the name of some brands remained so I think that was his shoes his shoes were like an Austrian brand I think that's what they said in the podcast but wow. when, when okay. the guards got in touch with that brand the, there was no like they couldn't take the the product number and trace it to a store or to they weren't able to go that far with it so that kind of ended there you know it was like yeah the shoes are from there but the rest of the stuff n- no they didn't know so um, isn't that isn't that amazing that you'd never think the product number on my shoes might like somebody might be able to track me down because of the product number on my shoes never 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 so Rosita Boland in the podcast she goes to the Garda station and she actually gets to see the contents of this cardboard box of like all of the remaining possessions of Peter Bergman so she goes in and they take um, the t-shirt and the, you know, the other bits of clothes out of the box. And as they do that, all these little grains of sand fall onto the table. And she was like, you know, she got really emotional because she was like, you know, this is, this is cut from that day. This is from him. Do you know, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's just awful. Um, she, I think she got really involved in the whole thing because she'd read so much about it and then she's, like seeing it for herself like the last little dregs of him it's well I mean it's very it's it's incredibly I mean it's so devastating and she said it's a long time since anyone looked at these clothes that Peter Bergman had folded so carefully and left on a coastal rock at nightfall 10 years ago a navy t-shirt a pair of navy underpants a pair of Swede speedo type swimming trunks uh, with pink and purple stripes. Mm, that would indicate to me he might be from Amsterdam or something. <laughs> <laughs> I know, he's not Irish. I take it German. back. So, right, on the rocks they found black leather fin comfort shoes, size 44, manufactured in 2002 in Germany, dark socks, a black leather CNA jacket, navy CNA chino trousers, a black sleeveless Tommy Hilfiger jumper, a black leather belt called Key West USA, made in Italy. And then in his pockets, they found 140 euro in notes, nine euro in coins in an envelope, um, a packet of tissues, some aspirin. Uh, They were made in the Czech Republic and they were distributed in Germany. So again, maybe the Germany thing, there is a bit of, you know, substance. Yeah, pointing to that maybe. Yeah. And they find some plasters and then a bar of hotel soap. Um, and and then, then when they investigated that, that wasn't from any Irish hotels. It was so, like, that's got a question mark oh. over it as well. 
it was just in an unopened blue plastic wrapper printed with mild soap hotel care so nobody knows and then not found were his glasses which were on him until the last second really oh god um and then the stamps uh and the long they weren't found either Okay. Never found. His blue shirt was never found. And the black shoulder bag and the purple plastic bag. He has no ID of any kind. So now when he he wasn't asked for ID, but he was asked for his address at the hotel. And the home address he gave was Ein Statterson 15 Wien 4472. So there's actually no such street as this, um, which is in Vienna. Uh, Austria has a postal code system in operation since 1966 using combinations of four digits but Vienna's codes only only run from 1000 to 1901 so the address that he gave which is 4472 is a total bit of bullshit okay okay and he his his second name has two N's. He gave with two N's, but the German spelling only has one. So that was unusual as well. Oh, that's very unusual. That's so interesting as well. Now then, when Clive Kilgallen conducted the autopsy on Wednesday, the 17th of June, 2009, he at Sligo University Hospital... And the results weren't made public until the inquest on April the 14th, 2010. But they contain two unexpected pieces of information. They didn't find any sign of classical saltwater drowning. It was actually um, a heart attack. So, like, they were saying, like, you know, it seems very, like, almost impossible to believe that he forced himself to have a heart attack. Like, you know he he yeah. wanted to go but like it wasn't it wasn't that he drowned so that was very unusual so it was acute cardiac arrest um and he he didn't he didn't test for any banned substances at all and then really really sad news then um was that they discovered that he had terminal prostate cancer oh god yeah so um and it was actually so advanced that the coroner believed that he wouldn't there's no way that he would have been unaware that he had this. Like he, he definitely, definitely okay. knew. Um, it had spread to his bones, his chest and his lungs. And um, oh, the, the coroner said that at most his life expectancy was weeks. So, you know, he must have been in a really bad way. And actually the taxi driver or, or no, the the guy at the bus depot noticed that his pallor was particularly bad. Like his, his colouring, he didn't look well. Okay. So, um... Oh, it just gets sadder and sadder, doesn't it? I mean, what I can't wrap my head around, though, is the fact that he died of a heart attack. I know, I know. It's really strange. And, like, that's it, you know? Like, there's no... Nothing else. It's just, like, yeah, he had a heart attack in the water. Like, they can't do anything else, you know? I mean, the fact that he had... You know, he had terminal cancer. Mm -hmm. You would imagine, I mean, you don't want to make the assumption, but uh, everything is pointing to a man who was planning to end his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's like a second cause, possible cause of death. And then it's neither of those things. He's actually died of a heart attack. I mean, it's it's just, it just gets mental more nuts as it goes on like and and it's it's kind of like 
you know, none of these pieces get tied up at the end. So it's like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, what? in terms of the heart attack, the only way I don't, I don't have much medical knowledge, but the only way I could see somebody in his condition of at his age, mm-hmm. you know, approximately, I know we don't have his age, but based on the visual, etc., yeah. he's kind of an older man. Uh, I could see somebody maybe having a heart attack if they were pushing themselves in terms of the swim. Yes, but it, yeah, but you, yeah, yeah. But you would imagine that they would drown first. But that's the only way I can conceive of him having a heart attack by natural causes is that he's exerting himself so much. Well, that, that would have been kind of what I would have heard yeah. before. Like, you know, like, um, like I've heard of... Um, you know, men of that age being found, like they get into jogging and yes. like, running and the you know, marathons. They they're able for yeah. more. The marathons, and, you know, it's always an issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they kind of waited. They waited for like six weeks for somebody to claim him. They kept hoping that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe somebody will make contact, but they didn't. So at this point, they, you know, um, the state really was like, we need to bury this body. So um, they, he's buried in an unmarked grave in Sligo Cemetery. And at the funeral on September the 18th, 2009, there were six people at the funeral, including the undertaker and the man who dug the grave uh, called Brian Scanlon. The Guardi gradually realised two things. So nobody was coming forward. So he wasn't really being like missed. Like nobody had really clocked, you know, He's gone. Ring isn't the guard. It, isn't it just, it's your worst nightmare that you could disappear and nobody would notice. It's such an inhumane experience for anyone to have to endure, to know that you will not be missed, to know that nobody's no, going to clock you're gone. I mean, I feel it's just nobody deserves this. It is so punitive. And it's also, it doesn't say much about society I in know. general, modern yeah. society that people can just disappear. So then so many questions remain about Peter Bergman and the choices he made at the end of his life. Why Sligo? Why dispose of all his belongings? Why give the fake name and address? Did he ever post the letters? Um, did he intend to die? by drowning and how did he have the heart attack, you know. Um, and but that, that was the case of the unsolved mystery of Peter Bergman. Oh, Sophie, that was so brilliant. I enjoyed that so much. I now, you know, you know what we're both going to go do now. Oh, Married to first such a I was like, dare we speak of the thing that isn't crime? Of course. Yeah, I'm gonna Listen. Run downstairs. Has to happen. And do you know what? We're out of wine, but I did make scones today. So then it's the next best thing. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> Sophie, th- I genuinely absolutely love that. Thank oh. you so much. I Big love, Sophie. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.